Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. Join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. We gather a seasoned elder, myself as the middle generation, and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations, prepare to engage or hear perspectives that literally no one else has had. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. My simple solution to the problem was remove people from the scene and help them feel safer. In response to attacks against Asian Americans, Maddie Park raised over $250,000 to donate cab rides to the Asian community. There is so much more work to be done. We really need to come together and tackle this issue as a community. Support the Asian community. Learn how at lovehasnolabels.com. Brought to you by Love Has No Labels and the Ad Council. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Mama, what does the chicken say? Uh, cat. Giraffe. Giraffe, really? Giraffe. Uh, giraffe. You're not going to get it all right. Just make sure you nail the big stuff, like making sure your kids are buckled correctly in the right seat for their age and size. Get it right. Visit NHTSA.gov. Slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. When I was 18 years old, a nun at my high school was brutally murdered. Getting to the truth has opened a Pandora's box of secrets. Exposing abuse of power and a world of lies at one Miami monastery. I mean, the woman was stabbed 90-plus times. There's got to be something else going on here. Listen to Sacred Scandal on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, what's up? It's your man Carlos Miller of the 85 South Show. Do me a favor. Make sure you check out The Black Market, hosted by me, only on the 85 South Show feed. Subscribe to the 85 South Show to hear and tune in to the black market. Hear amazing interviews with entrepreneurs, creatives, and thought leaders, people who are doing amazing things in the black community. Listen to the black market on iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to Money Making Conversations. It's the show that shares the secrets of success experienced firsthand by marketing and branding expert Rashawn McDonald. I will know. He's given me advice on many occasions, and in case you didn't notice, I'm not broke. You know he'll be interviewing celebrities, CEOs, entrepreneurs, and industry decision makers. It's what he likes to do. It's what he likes to share. Now it's time to hear from my man, Rashawn McDonald. Money Making Conversations. Here we go. Welcome to Money Making Conversation. I am your host, Rashawn McDonald. I always tell people every week, you know, it's time to stop reading other people's success stories and start writing your own. People always talk about gifts and passions. If you have a gift, lead with your gift. 
And don't let your age, friends, family, or coworkers stop you from planning or living your dreams. The people I bring on Money Making Conversation are celebrities, CEOs, entrepreneurs, and people I like to call industry decision makers. My next guest is what I like to believe is truly an industry decision maker. His name is Kurt Mays. He is the CEO of Forgotten Harvest, one of Michigan's top nonprofit organizations and one of the nation's premier food rescue organizations. Forgotten Harvest was formed in 1990 to fight two problems, hunger and waste. Forgotten Harvest rescued 41.5 million pounds of food last year by collecting surplus prepared and perishable food from 800 sources that include grocery stores, fruit and vegetable markets, restaurants, caterers, dairies, farmers, wholesale food distributors, wholesale food distributors, and other department-approved sources. This donated food, which would otherwise go to waste, is delivered free of charge to more than 280 emergency food providers in the metro Detroit area. He's on the show to talk about the purpose, but also his purpose. Please welcome to Money Making Conversations, my man, Kurt Mays. Thank you, sir. Brother Simon, thank you for having me on the show. This is an honor. Hey, Kurt, I had to put you out there, man. You're, doing, you're changing lives, brother. Uh, man, just trying every day to just do what we can to help, man. Well, you know, Kurt, uh, when I interview individuals like you, because you're such forward thinkers and you're all about what you what you can do more, what you can do better, what does that start? I'm going to delve into you a little bit. What does that start for you? Who initiated this type of behavior or thought process in your life? It, it comes from my home. It comes from my mom. It comes from the way I grew up. You know, my mother, my family are from Jamaica mm-hmm. and uh, really started with like, you know, third world country poverty. Yes, a different level. You know, my mom didn't <clears throat> have her first pair of shoes until she actually um, had to go to school. Right. So, you know, it's just kind of like having that family background of people that started so far away from their dreams and ambitions and just taking those one day at a time steps towards like progress is something that I lived in, lived around my whole life and realizing the the gift and the and the, and the blessing that I had to be, you know, in America to, for them to make the sacrifice they did to actually I was born here. Right. To be able to actually realize that the, every opportunity that I had was an extension of the dreams that they had for themselves. So it was always instilled into me to actually stay on the right path right. and be patient about um, achieving goals because nothing comes, you know, overnight. So it really just came from home and how I was raised. Well, you know, that's important because uh, it, it, it shapes your vision. Like I said, uh, my service was really introduced when I was in uh, college at the University of Houston and I pledged Omega Psi Phi fraternity and all fraternities and sororities are service-based organizations. If anybody doesn't know anything about that, that's what they really are. And that's yeah. what I really got into community service, giving, you know, uh, raising funds from local uh, community activist organizations, donating food. I mean, we should give away government cheese. We should give away water, all those things. And seeing how the people react. I remember, man, when we had, when we loaded up that truck and was giving away that government cheese, man, it was a line around the block. Yeah. And, and so the need is real. And so let's yeah. talk about that need, Kurt. Well, you know, it starts with a um, a moment where people have to realize that they can't do it on their own. And they got to actually figure out who they can trust in that moment of vulnerability 
to get what they need, but also try to walk walk away with enough energy and time so they can actually work on the root cause, which is how do I make sure I, I, I don't I don't have to deal with this again. And you know, in our lives, we'd be surprised how many times people fall into that one scenario where it's like, I can't do it by myself, whether it's a, a corporation that's doing major layoffs, whether it's the government shutdown that we've seen, the pandemic, or just the regular cycles of our economy that are changing every day from local to global, right? So um, I see, we see um, in our work, uh, unfortunately, the lines wrapped around the corner every day. Mm-hmm. in multiple places. Mm-hmm. So the, the the issue of human need is persistent, is constant, and unfortunately, it's more dynamic than just being able to put food in a place for people to get it. Uh, we really got to think, um, we got to really come together and think about the ways that we can help each other even before people ask um, so that we can help, you know, stem some of these gaps that people have and sometimes they they don't say anything until it's too bad. It's, it's worse than it should have been. Um, and um, if we can work together and, and be that safety net for each other, uh, we really can do a lot to reduce the pain that a lot of people are actually suffering through quietly. Well, let me, let's talk about that because when you say that people are wrapped around the building, you know, let's go back to 2020 when this country was yeah. shut down, restaurants couldn't even do any business. And so you get a lot of your food from these type of what they say prepared or perishable food. And one of the things is restaurant caterers, you know, farmers, wholesale and food distributors. Walk us through that moment right there in time where you had a system in place where you did business with and retrieving this type of food. Then when the country got set down, shut down in 2020 due to COVID, how did that dynamic change and how did you walk through the process in dealing with companies now who not even making money, but now you need the food that they're offering? Yeah, so that's a good that's a good point. So let me just kind of level set a little bit on, on how the whole system is set up for us and how we kind of approached it. First, um, over the years, as we uh, become more dynamic and, and have more capacity to serve our community, we actually uh, forgotten harvest. For instance, at the time that the, that pandemic um, went into play, our largest sources of food were coming from places like grocery stores, farmers. Food manufacturers like Conagra and the, and, the, and the places where the food getting warehouse, um, and we have a farm our, of our own. Mm-hmm. So when you think about the actual prepared foods, the stuff that's already cooked, um, we actually specialize um, in that other stuff I just talked about. And then we have some select partners like certain restaurant groups and like the casinos as well. Uh, you know, Tiger Stadium. Right. Uh, when they when they didn't finish uh, with all the hot dogs, we go get those. But because of the food safety uh, uh, parameters that we want to put in place, we didn't really deal with a lion's share of pear food. Yes. Sir. Now, when now when when the restaurant shut down because of the pandemic, we do have the capacity to deal with that, and we had to make that adjustment so that we could actually go get the stuff that was actually going to go to waste because the restaurants couldn't get it out to the community. So there was a small blip in time where we got a bunch of the restaurants rations and got that back out to the community. Right. Now, our typical way of doing things, as I mentioned, is our trucks leave, our daily uh, uh, the daily picture of Forgotten Harvest is our trucks leave um, our warehouse in uh, Metro Detroit every day. And they go out on routes to go pick up food from uh, dedicated re- uh, grocery store partners. Right. 
And then after they go hit about 12 to 15 of those grocery store partners, they then turn that food back around and drop it off at some of the community organizations, the churches, the senior centers throughout the community um, in order for those organizations to turn back around and then, and then redistribute it for folks in need in the community. At our home warehouse, while things are coming in from farmers and manufacturers and things like that, we have about 16,000 volunteers a year that help us with actually sorting through things, making sure we separate the good for the bad, but also break down things like the onions and tomatoes and corn into smaller bundles so that we're not just taking big galers or big boxes to the community and dropping them off. We're actually dropping them off, but they're also already kind of unitized. So people who walk through the line can actually get their portion for themselves. So it's kind of a dynamic operation going on on a daily basis. As we walked into COVID, we had to realize a few things. Number one, our distribution network was going to potentially be greatly affected because if you know how the actual emergency food uh, distribution system is set up throughout our communities, it's largely done by volunteers. You know, that church group that's actually giving out the food, that's probably... You know, grandma in the church, Miss Johnson in the church that says, you know, this is something that's passionate for her and she wants to do that. Right. So she'll take two hours out her Wednesday to, to give away that free food that gets sourced for however that particular location does it. Um, there's a lot of situations like that. That's actually the, the, the safety net for our communities. And when COVID came in, that those were vulnerable populations. Yes, it was. With, with very little infrastructure for sustainability. And a lot of those folks weren't getting paid. So they were volunteer roles. So we knew that there was going to be some real instability in our distribution network. A lot of our volunteers, to sustain 16,000 volunteers a year, we got some great corporate relationships. Mm-hmm. So our, our volunteers come in bundles of 30 to 50 at a time because we got corporate corporations that are sending people to us on a daily basis. When corporations shut down and start actually sending people to work from home, changing the parameters around um, how volunteerism and just how people were going to be deployed into the community, we had to figure out what we we're going to do about volunteers, because that's a core way of what we do. Forgotten Harvest distributes about 50 million pounds of food last year to our community and helped about a million people. We can't do that with the 80 staff, the 95 staff that we have. We need our volunteers. Right. So we also had to come up with a way to address that. In addition to all of that, in the working spaces that we have, we have some things that we had to consider like PPE, like the distance between um, how, how far people could be when we actually give away the food, what's the best ways to give away the food so that everybody is actually um, kept protected. And then when we're actually doing our side of the processing, how is our space gonna be transformed? Mm-hmm. So in order to address these things, we did a couple of things. The first thing we did is we came up a way to actually quickly distribute the food to the community with a system that we actually ran and control on our own instead of actually depending on our typical system of, of going to our community um, distribution partners. And that was brought about because of COVID, right? That, 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 was, that was because of COVID. Now, we had already been kind of uh, working on uh, a model that we were actually, as a team, kind of testing on our own. We were kind of doing our own little R&D. Right. And it turns out that that little thing that we were working on was the exact thing that we needed to do in order to address that particular hole, which was how do we actually put distribution mechanisms out there to get to the community, knowing that the whole distribution network that we had in place will probably shut down. And what we did for that was we we set up what we call our our mobile pantry, where we we basically go and uh, deploy one of those 53 foot uh, refrigerated trucks into our community with volunteers and it, and it serves as like that staging unit 
We put all the, the stuff on the uh, on the parking lot um, on a pallet, and then we had rolling distributions with the community coming through um, in their cars, and we were able to put stuff in the trunks. Uh, we had to go from fishing with a net, so to speak, to fishing with the hook again with volunteers and calling one at a time. Right. So we put um, uh, partnerships in place with some of our community partners so we can get the volunteers and be specific about how we did that. But we really, in the middle of all of that, really had to pause and I had to, we, the team had to really get serious about trying to get to every partner we could to get PPE. Well, so you know, we the thing about it, was let, stuff me, in let me China. just say something right quick, Kurt. Yeah. The whole process of what you're talking about, you know, is fear, you know, COVID. Because like I said, yeah. plus Michigan, the state of Michigan, I'm talking to Kurt Mays, he's the CEO of Forgotten Harvest, uh, runs one of the Michigan's top nonprofit organizations where Premier Rescue food organization. This is the key in this conversation. Food that will be perishable, food that will be thrown away. He repurposes it and he gives it to people in need. And it's safe food that's being repurposed and delivered free of charge. That's what we're talking about. It's not yeah. only happens there, but there are other organizations in the state of in the state of America, in this world, that does that as well. But we're talking yeah. to Kurt Mage right here. And Kurt, uh, one, I wanted to talk slow down just a little bit because the, the ready-made food that you was getting from this restaurant played a role. Because right. that food went to certain individuals or certain groups. What happened there when you didn't have the ready-made food anymore to be given out to these certain groups or individuals that needed or was expecting it five days a week? You know, we, we relied on some of our existing relationships. Uh, we were all, at that point, we realized that we had to change the way we looked at uh, bringing in our food supply. So our supply chain partnerships had to actually pivot on a dime. Right. So instead of just... You know, a lot of the food came from the grocery store and grocery store shelves was clear. Mm -hmm. So what we're going to do. Um, so we have these relationships with a lot of food producers and food manufacturers. So we started to actually approach some of our um, partners to buy the food because we knew we needed to actually start getting out of here and actually making sure that we were there. We were on the ground with food. So there was a portion of time where I had to get approval from our board to be able to actually go into our cash reserves up to a million dollars so that I could actually be able to purchase food so that we could actually fill the gas we need wow. to fill in, in case we couldn't get the food from the food manufacturers and at the same, or from the, from the community the way we were getting it. And at the same time, we started actually putting the word out to people. And you know what, man? I got to say, it's such a blessing. We never had to dip into that million dollars to buy the food. We right. did have to buy food. Right. But we got food that was coming in from places that we didn't even expect. We had partners that actually stepped up to make sure that we were um, in place where we needed to be. We have a coalition of partners um, in the state of Michigan called the Food Bank Council of Michigan, which is seven organizations and we cover the entire state. We started putting our heads together and we went to the governor and we started speaking as one voice about the shortfalls that were coming to us based on what was going on. Um, the moves that FEMA did, the moves to be able to get the boxes on the ground. A lot of that conversation actually started in Michigan right. and it proliferated throughout the rest of the country mm -hmm. as, as the way that everybody would actually get that solution in place. So the CARES Act program, some of the things that happened through FEMA ultimately was what actually uh, uh, stemmed the tide to right. be able to give all of us the food we needed. So the food boxes, then forgotten harvest because we have all these relationships with other fresh food providers also, many, also supplemented the food boxes with vegetables, fruits, um, lunches for the kids. We, in, all, in all, we've been giving away an average of 70 pounds of food for every family that comes through our line. Wow. You know, uh, when I listen to you talk, you're the CEO. 
Okay. So that means there's a journey to become the CEO of Forgotten Harvest. How is that possible? How does that work? You know, when I, you know, you're a service-oriented young man. You've been honored by your alumni, your school, Michigan State University, been honored for other efforts within the community. How does Kurt Mays become the CEO of Forgotten Harvest? And that's a million dollar question. I don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> you know. It's finally here, the season of celebration. And no matter how you celebrate with family and friends, whether you're preparing for Reyes Magos or Karamu, lighting the menorah, or going to midnight mass, Kohl's has just what you need to make those traditions special. Plus, you'll find gifts for all your loved ones. Send warm wishes with cozy fleeces, sweaters, loungewear, blankets, and throws. Support minority-owned or founded brands by giving gifts from Human Nation and Shea Moisture. Or treat them to everyone's favorite activewear from top brands like Nike, Adidas, and Under Armour. And in the spirit of giving, Kohl's Cares is donating $8 million to local nonprofits nationwide committed to the health and well-being of our communities. No matter how you celebrate, when you shop at Kohl's, you're right where you belong. So this season, give with all your heart with great gifts from Kohl's or Kohl's.com. Hi, everyone. Al Roker here. As a guy with his own catchphrase, I appreciate that Smokey's only said, Only you can prevent wildfires. But I'm filling in because there's a lot more to report. Like when there are parched or windy conditions out there, you got to be extra careful with things like burning yard waste. After all, wildfires can start anywhere, even in your neck of the woods. Go to SmokeyBear.com to learn more about wildfire prevention. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. What grows in the forest? Trees? Sure. Know what else grows in the forest? Our imagination, our sense of wonder, and our family bonds grow too. Because when we disconnect from this and connect with this, we reconnect with each other. The forest is closer than you think. Find a forest near you and start exploring at discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council. You already, you got, you, you show me you're visionary. You show me that you, you weathered the pivot when, when, when confusion steps in place. You already had places, you already had an idea that, hey, this is something we need to look at. COVID hits it. You already got the model. You put the model in place and then it yeah. moves you forward. And then you're able to create a one voice. You tell the council, look, notifying them that, hey, there is a problem out there. I'm not saying we're going to get the money, but that means that you're a guy who foresees the problem with resolution. Yeah. That has but, been you know, your personality, correct? I, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's all. That's all I can, you know, humbly, I can say that's all fair. Right. So, uh -huh. um, but to answer your question, I got to actually go uh, probably a little bit off the script and just go say that I've just been trying to make sure my fire don't burn me up. <laughs> uh -huh. um, and I got a, I got a fire for our people. Yes, sir. I got a fire for our community. Yes, sir. I understand. Uh, I, I think I understand well enough the the politics of change. Um, my my greatest focus is studying people and trying to understand people so I can do as much as I can as a servant to people to help. I started as a grassroots or community organizer with the hope that I could actually be a part of an effort to, you know, 20 years ago, I started with a dream that we could recreate Black Wall Street in Detroit. Yes, sir. And now I see people talking about it everywhere. So 
I honestly is just a young man who just want to see change with the people around me. I got a burning fire. I had a great education. And at one point I realized that I can probably do anything and be successful. And I could go sell myself, my talent, my ability, my time to somebody and probably go make a lot of money. But I want to, I want to leave a legacy in this life that my, my child, my family could be proud of. And it got to be something more than just cash. So I dedicated my life to serving our community. And I got to say, it didn't start being the CEO of Forgotten Harvest. You know what I'm saying? It didn't start being the CEO of nothing except this dream I had. And I was always the CEO of that dream. And I never stopped being the CEO. And I've always been putting my fire into the place where I felt like I could add the most value to the moment in the conversation. And it's turned out that that service has put has positioned me in a place where I've been able to actually be in front of a conversation or in front of a group and uh, be considered as somebody to be able to be, you know, to follow into, into the fire. You know, before I was at Forgotten Harvest, my job was as a, the grass top leader for a, a, a hard hit community in Detroit called Brightmore. Mm. And, you know, I applied the same kind of fire towards community development and, made some change and made some problems yes. for folks, yes. in, you know what I'm saying? And that got me a, a role that was pulled into the mayor's office as the deputy for economic development. And I think what happened was the powers that be, whatever you want to call it, the, the, the cross-section of our community and the business world got a chance to see my, my light shining in a lot of different ways as they were looking for the person to, to fulfill the role of Forgotten Harvest. Um, it wasn't something I saw in my future, but when I really understood what it could be, I sat down in the interview and I gave them everything I had. Yes, sir. And I've been doing that for the last seven years um, to try to do that through you know, this role to do the most I can to continue to change our community, man. I wish I could tell you a game plan to get here, but I was just, I've just been trying to do as much as I can to give back to my people well, I'm going to tell you a game plan. You know, it's like a lot of people, because you're a grinder. I call you grinders. People that just put their head down and they don't. Like I always, always tell people when I look back on my life, I've been doing what I'm doing today since I was 18 years old. Uplifting, you know, stepping beyond the word ask. I just did it. Uh, seeing a problem and creating a resolution. And yes, I did rub people the wrong way. But it was always, but I walked away with respect. The thing about it, when you hear the word rubbing people the wrong way, these are people who don't want change. And change is t- usually tied to putting forth effort. And when you right. ask people to put forth effort, that means they have to think about the resolution or the new concept. And that creates resistance. And that's where you get bumped. And so when you're creating resistance, that means you have to have a plan in place. And that's what he does. See, he yeah. doesn't create resistance without a plan. And so while people over there with their lips stuck out, he's over there, he's over there telling people this is how it can be operated or executed. And then they then they calm down and they have to come to the table and at least listen to you. And yeah. while they're listening, then you have their attention in their ear and we can move forward. That is who Kurt made it, Maze is. He yeah, may not want to say that. One of the piece. Huh? That's one of the piece. If you don't agree, yes. and I really believe that this is the thing, yes. I build it myself. There you go. There you go. People, people like jumping on bandwagon. Yes. You might have been the one at the table who said, no, nah, no, nah, but if and I'm like, look, let's see. Yes. And if you don't want to, if you don't want to jump down this road and see with me, I'm gonna go do as much as I can. I got enough capacity to build it. 
so that this wagon is wobbling. And I'm going to get somebody else to fix that wheel. But you don't see by action if you don't believe by word. And that's what really is my hidden, I think, jewel. I can do it if you don't There we go. See, I, I finally got the real Kirk to pop out in this interview. Did you, you, you say he moved forward? He started pointing at me. He started telling me, if you don't do it, I'll get the nail and the hammer and the saw. I'll build it myself. And that's really what... Why are you the CEO? That's all, I, that's all I was asking. Because sometimes along the way, it's your passion, your desire, you'll get out of the way and function as a, as a leader. It's why we're here today. We're talking about you know, Kirk Mays in 1990, Forgotten Harvest was, was founded, is dedicated to relieving hunger and preventing uh, food waste. And for, uh, they deliver 138,000 pounds per day, uh, five days a week to families in need. And recently, I shouldn't say recently, within this past year, you guys received a $25 million grant from philanthropist Mackenzie Scott. Walk us through that process and where, where, how would the money be used at Forgotten Harvest? Well, first, it was a, it's an absolute blessing, right? So um, what many people may not realize is there was no process for us. This was literally an angel that dropped $25 million on our lap and when I found out, it was a call. Like literally the decision was already made. And it was like one of, it was an email that I could have missed. And it was just like, hey, uh, you got a woman that wants to talk to you tomorrow about a gift. And I've gotten anonymous gifts before. So I get on the phone and she's like, is this Kirk May? I'm like, yeah. It's like, Mr. Mays, this conversation has to be confidential. I'm like, okay, no problem. And she says, uh, do you know who... Uh, Mackenzie Scott is. I'm like, no, nah, I don't. And she's like, well, she's an author and this, that, and the other. And she didn't tell me about her affiliation with Mr. Bezos or nothing like that. And then she's like, well, Mr. Mays, uh, we've done uh, our research and we've heard about you. So we want to give you a gift. We're going to give you $25 million. I was like, what? Okay, okay. Let's, hey, hey, Kurt, let's back that up. Because numbers, <laughs> see, 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 see. Hi, I'm Flo from Progressive. Being a baseball fanatic like me can be stressful. It's not all sports points and touchdowns. So Progressive is going to help you take your mind off your team for a moment. Instead of thinking about how they missed that goal point score, think about the Name Your Price tool from Progressive letting you choose coverage options based on your budget. Unlike your team that missed the end zone net area. Well, anyway, hope this distraction about Progressive's Name Your Price tool was helpful. It sure kept me from thinking about all those penalty balls. Yay, sports! Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. What grows in the forest? Trees? Sure. Know what else grows in the forest? Our imagination, our sense of wonder, and our family bonds grow too. Because when we disconnect from this and connect with this, we reconnect with each other. The forest is closer than you think. Find a forest near you and start exploring at discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council. If I could be you. And you could be me. For just one hour. If you could find a way. To get inside. Each other's mind. Walk a mile in my shoes. Walk a mile in my shoes. Walk a mile in my shoes. shoes. We've all felt left out. And for some, that feeling lasts more than a moment. We can change that. Learn how at belongingbeginswithus.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council. Walk a mile in my shoes. You 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 know math. You heard numbers. You know we we've heard twenty dollars, a hundred dollars. When somebody says twenty five million dollars to you over uh, the phone with the word give, 
Where were you at mentally? I was, I was, I was kind of dumbfounded because it stopped me. Because one, I don't think it's ridiculous to say that's the biggest gift I've ever gotten. It's the biggest gift the organization's ever gotten. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it, you don't understand getting something when you didn't go through the process and ask for it or anything like that. You know what I'm saying? The Even hustle. Mm-hmm. If somebody came up to you and knocked on your door and say, "Hey," You just won the lottery. Here's a hundred million dollars. You kind of be suspicious that you didn't buy that ticket. Right. <laughs> <laughs> At that point, I was like, man, are you for real? What? $25 million. And I, I immediately, I have to understand, I had to admit, I immediately picked up my phone. I was like, Mackenzie Scott, who is this? Right. And the first thing that came up was Mackenzie Scott valued at $60 billion. Right. Mm-hmm. I put the phone down. I was like, well, tell me more. Right. <laughs> and what she told us was they have been she has been going through a process to give away all her her cash. And what she's doing is she's going through and doing her own assessment of organizations and based off of leadership, based off a of track record, based off of impact. There are certain areas that she actually um, is focused on. And we were one of 6,000 plus organizations that got scrutinized. That got boiled down to 384 that got a gift. It was an absolute honor. One of seven in the state of Michigan. Um, And I got to say, one of few brothers in the work. Uh, Out of all food organizations in in Feeding America, there's 200 plus food organizations in Feeding America. Mm -hmm. Only 45 got a gift, Mm -hmm. right? So... It was it was quite a it was quite a head jerking moment because you got to understand I'm in the middle of the, we're in the middle of this pandemic. Yes, sir. We we have a vision for the future that got interrupted because we had to turn to the community to help doing everything we're doing. We have a vision that involves us building a brand new facility to really change the way that we systemically actually serve the community. Mm-hmm. And with everything going on, it's like, how are we going to do all of this? How are we going to do all of this in this moment? And that gift was like the, it was more than just help right now. It was verification and validation that every decision I made up to now was right. That fire. That fire was burning for the right reasons. It's the best award I've ever gotten. And not, and not just because of the money. It's the gesture. Yes. The gesture. You know what I'm saying? It was backed up by a magnificent dollar amount. Yes. That right now what we're doing is, you know, you ask, how are we going to spend the money? Yes, sir. We know that starts with conceptually understanding how we look at it. And if I can break that down, as it, 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 try to do it in a short way. Mm-hmm. First and foremost, um, the effort we're in right now to transform how we deliver food to the community is in, in, inherent that we have to have a new facility. Yes, sir. We've forgotten harvest going out and getting food every day from food providers, but also food coming in from um, the gross, like from uh, bulk and commodity providers. We don't really have a capability inside of our existing warehouse to mix all of that so that everybody can get what I would call an equitable mix of everything we get on a daily basis. Those, those route drivers go out and actually uh, pick up from each of those grocery stores, and they just give to like the three or four community partners on their route. Right. What, I, what, what it, we're going to do in the future 
is we're going to bring everything from every grocery store that we touch, all the farms, all the manufacturers. We're going to use the processes we have with our volunteers to actually mix all of that stuff so that there's not a line somewhere on the east side of town that only got from those couple Kroger's or couple Meyer or couple um, grocery stores. And there's another line over here that's just getting from the farms. We yes. want everybody to get as much as possible because the nature of food rescue is we don't really know what we're going to get on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. But we get so much that if we mix it all, mm-hmm. people will be able to make the right decisions to be able to get the meals they need so they can go home and make and, and solve the problem of food insecurity. And I got to talk about that. Food insecurity for us is a person or a family not knowing where their next meal, the future meal is coming from. Mm-hmm. And the anxiety that comes from that is that simple. So I use that to hold us, myself and our organization accountable. How do we address that definition? And broken into that is knowledge access, proximity, and then supply. So the way that translates into the way that that Forgotten Harvest is gonna actually transform or address that from a systemic level is, we gotta change our communication. Yes, sir. We've also been looking at and analyzing the distribution territory that we're working in, and we've actually created data systems to help us understand and qualify, but also quantify what food insecurity actually looks like in our community. Mm -hmm. We're collecting data from our community um, uh, members that are getting the food so that we can actually now have firsthand information about where people are coming from, what some of their health mechanisms are, where some of their particular cultural um, preferences may be, and how we could potentially bring food closer to the actual places where people are actually in need instead of just focusing on the places where people are picking up the food. So when we look look at this combination of being able to change the way we move, plus being able to change the way we think as an organization, Forgotten Harvest is actually transforming into a thinking and data-driven organization. And the new facility is actually going to actually help enable us to make that turn. That's already the plan in place. <laughs> That's already what I was doing, right. right? And we're already raising the money for that. We already got cash coming in for that. And then we get this magnificent gift from Ms. Scott in the middle of all this. And my board is like, now what? I'm like, well, yo, we already going deep. So now the question is, how do we go wide? Yes. So there now there's some additional questions that we have about whether the throughput of the distribution um, uh, outlets that we give the food to are actually adequate uh, in their capacity in order to actually serve the community. One of the largest challenges in, the, in, in people being able to get the food that they need is being able to get to the place where it is in time. So if, like I said, back to that example I had earlier, if grandma can only come to the church on yeah. Wednesday from two to four to be able to get food out, what about the working family mm-hmm. that can't actually get there? Mm-hmm. So what, what we would like to see is a distribution network that has something closer to, to retail hours. Mm-hmm. I'd like to eliminate the line. Yes, and the way that I think that we can eliminate that line that, that wraps around the corner is that we need to have places that look a lot more like grocery stores that have hours that are a lot more like a retail establishment, but still give food away for free, but mm-hmm. still has an actual high quality staff working in there, treating people with dignity and like their customers. Yes, that sir. people come in there and they go get that food and they go home and they go home with enough variety and enough volume so they can fix that problem and thereby not have to worry about where their next meal, future meal is coming from. So. Everything that we do going forward with Forgotten Harvest is going to actually help us actually uh, widen our ability to affect the, the need that we're addressing. And the next step, I believe, is when we move out of the building we're in, which is about 30,000 square feet, and move into 
our 77,000 square foot facility, I want to turn this old facility into, the grocery into a community care center yes, that not only allows people to come in and shop mm-hmm. at their at their regular pace, mm-hmm. like they would if they went to any grocery store, but check out for free. And before you leave, there's going to be offices in here where some of our community partners, we don't do this, but we can invite partners in to work on mental health services, Loan, housing, credit, get your water repair. cut on, mm-hmm. get, to, get, get the lights cut on. Mm-hmm. And I want to bring our partners in to do that. So that'll be one facility that'll come, um, you know, immediately. I mean, and then we can talk about other ways to expand. But, brother, as you may already know, um, everybody can can really absorb the whole vision all at once. So I just give it out there. Well, like well, one well, piece well, of time, Kirk, we move to the next stage, and then we can see the other horizon. We can see the horizon differently once we get down the road. So that's what it looks like in the short term. In the midst of all of that, we got some cash management to do to make sure we stay in our position of strength. And mm-hmm. I'm going to continue to just beat the streets. And I love to talk to our community, so I'm going to continue to beat the streets <laughs> make sure I got the approval uh-huh. and the sanction from our community uh-huh. as we make this turn. Well, Kirk, I'm going to just tell you this, man. Thank you for coming on the show. That fire, I got to, I got to, I, it warmed me, okay? It warmed me, okay? So I know it's, 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 a, it's out there warming a lot of people and changing lives, man. And definitely, uh, uh, I want to come up there and visit you in Detroit. Detroit's one of my favorite cities. And and, and see that 33,000-square-foot uh, facility, and you're going to move to the eventual 77,000-square-foot facility. And I think you're absolutely right, repurposing that old facility into a care center, a, a, a life center, I think that's basically what you're saying, where you can you can be educated and nourished, not from, from your body and your head. And that's what we need in these diverse communities that are being underserved. Again, Forgotten Harvest, he is the CEO. I know how he got there. I just had to let you guys hear how he got there and let him drop that humble veil and tell us his story on Money Making Conversation. Thank you, Kurt Mays. Thank you, sir. I appreciate you. If you want to hear any interviews or see any of my interviews, please go to moneymakingconversation.com. I'm Rashawn McDonald. I am your host. In this season of giving, Kohl's has gifts for all your loved ones. For those who like to keep it cozy, find fleeces, sweaters, loungewear, blankets, and throws. Or support minority-owned or founded brands by giving gifts from Human Nation and Shea Moisture. And in the spirit of giving, Kohl's Cares is donating $8 million to local nonprofits nationwide. Give with all your heart this season with great gifts from Kohl's or Kohl's.com. On April 4, 1968, Dr. Martin Luther King was shot and killed in Memphis. A petty criminal named James Earl Ray was arrested. Case closed, right? James Earl Ray was a pawn for the official story. Some of the evidence, as far as I was concerned, did not match the circumstances. This is the MLK Tapes. The first episodes are available now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Look for your children's eyes and you will discover the true magic of a forest. Find a forest near you and start exploring at discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council.